the disciples had been with Jesus. They had seen him heal the sick. They had watched him and listened to him as he stilled the storm. They had listened intentively as he would preach to the crowds. And they had learned to understand something of the connection between Jesus' public life and his life of prayer. No one prayed like him. And so on one occasion, one of our Lord's disciples came to him and asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. I'm sure many of us have also come to our Lord with that request, dissatisfied with our prayer life, having the problems and troubles and difficulties with prayer. We too have come and we have asked for help. Wonderfully, our Lord not only answered his disciples, but it's recorded for us in the Gospels the answer that he gave. So that here we find in the Matthew's account in chapter 6, our Lord's seminar on prayer. And, and he begins with those simple opening words. When you pray, pray like this. And so when we look at that prayer, which we, we call the Lord's Prayer, or more correctly, the Disciples' Prayer, we see implied in the, the introductory words of that prayer a particular framework. We also recognize immediately that this prayer has to do with a particular family, and it also points us to the way in which we come, and that is with a, a proper fear. First of all, then, to say something about this, this practical framework that is brought out here. This, this prayer reveals the source of our procedure in prayer. This, then, is how you should pray the words of the NIV in verse 9. The implication being that when we pray, we are to pray in accordance with our Lord's words. And of course, his words were the words of God. So when we do come into our room and we close our door, what, <coughs> pardon me, what we do there must accord with God's word. And in a sense, in reality, what we do should arise from God's word. Because you see, there are two disciplines here that must never be divorced. And that is the word of God and our praying to God. The two go hand in glove. It was said of George Mueller 
that it was only after meditating on Scripture that he was more able to experience a meaningful prayer time. He always prayed with a, a, an open Bible before him. So what will God's Word do to us? How will God's Word help us when we come to pray? Well, we can say to begin with that, that God's Word will, will check our motivation in prayer. Why we're coming to pray. I've turned in my Bible to James chapter 4 and verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. The Word of God will check, correct, convict us of wrong motives. But secondly, the Word of God will provide us with an affirmation, an affirmation that will encourage our faith. First John chapter 5 verses 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. The Bible will check our motivation. The Bible will provide us with an assurance, a certainty, an affirmation that God is hearing us. But employing the word of God in our praying also rescues us from, from repetition. And that is to pray not only scripturally, but to pray the scriptures themselves. Take the, the, the Psalms, these, these songs, but they're also wonderful means by which we can learn to proceed in prayer, to turn what we have read in the Psalms into the stuff of which we are praying about to learn to, to pray through the Psalms. Let me commend two, two little books to you for your encouragement and help. The first is this, Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney. And the second, God's Prayer Program by T.M. Moore. Both will help us to know how to pray scripturally and how we can turn the scriptures into into the content of our praying which will save us from that repetition that characterizes us so frequently a procedure in prayer the relationship between the word of god and prayer but then we look at this prayer and we see a pattern for prayer here being brought out. This is how you should pray. Well, does that mean that when we pray, we, we, we simply repeat these words? This is what Jesus is teaching us, that the, the only prayers that really we can offer, the only prayer that God will hear is this prayer, these words. Well, that's clearly not our Lord's intention. 
because he himself as a, a model prayer went beyond these words. You only have to read John chapter 17 and you see how the Lord expanded the horizon of his prayers. In addition to that, the apostle Paul particularly prayed beyond these words. You only have to read his, his epistles and study the prayers of Paul, which is a wonderful exercise. And you'll see how he has expanded on these words. So that what we have here from our Lord is, is a directory of prayer, a, a, a model of prayer, a pattern, if you will, of our praying. It was John Calvin that said, we, we ought to examine our prayers by this rule. For what do we find here in this, this prayer as recorded by Matthew in chapter 6? There's invocation. There's adoration. There's petition. There's confession. All those, those elements that ought to be part of and find a place in our praying. You see, sadly, I think more often than not, we, we hurriedly enter into prayer. And all we do is make known to God what is on our spiritual shopping list of all those things which we think essential, necessary, or those things that we desire and wish for. But there's no cry of joyful recognition or adoration that God is our Father. No confession of the intimate relationship that we have with him or his light of his word shining in our heart, showing our sins so that we confess them before God. No comfort of tender repose upon the one who, who sees us and who knows us and who rewards us. So this prayer gives to us a practical framework in prayer and for prayer which is acceptable to God. But now underlining and undergirding all of this is this point. The need to be a member of a particular family, a particular family. For our Lord says, this is how you should pray. Our Father, our Father, our Father, not, not simply by creation, that is, that we have been made by him, but essentially, significantly, supremely, because of a, a gracious relationship in which he has brought us through his Son. You see, this, this, this Lord's Prayer is, is, is not a general prayer for all peoples. No, no, no. It's, it's a particular prayer for particular people, with Jesus teaching his followers, those who have come, taken up their cross to follow him. Come with me to John's Gospel. John's Gospel and the very first chapter. 
John chapter 1, and I'm reading from verse 11. John chapter 1 and verse 11. He, that is Jesus, came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. To all who received him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right, the authority to become the children of God. What is John saying here? Well, I can do no better than repeat the, the, the explanation given by Alec Mortier, former principal of Trinity Theological College in Bristol and, and an author of many uh, must-have books. He says there's, there's three, three points that we can pick up from what Jesus says here. The first is this. There's a picture being presented here. A picture that most of us, I'm sure, are acquainted with. A young couple ought to be married. They stand before their guests and in front of the minister. And soon the point is reached in the service where the minister speaks to the couple and turns to the groom and says, Will you have this woman to be your wedded wife? And the minister waits, expecting the response, I will. And then to the bride, Will you have this man to be your wedded husband? And again, the joyful response, I will. This is usually then followed by the, the giving and the receiving of rings. So the I will is followed by the I give. Becoming a member of God's family, becoming a child of God, a Christian, in other words, is just like that. Not, not you and some other partner, but you and Jesus. And God, as it were, as the officiating minister says to you and asks you, will, will you have this man? Will you receive him as your Savior and Lord? Will you accept him and will you then entrust yourself to him? Will you say, I will, and then will you give yourself totally to him? That's the picture here, says Mortier. But then his second point is this. There's a person. Because who is the, the him? It is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what Christianity is all about. It's about, it's about that man, the God-man. Christ Jesus. You see, Christianity is, is not just trying to be good and hoping at the end of the day when you come to stand before God that your, your good deeds will outweigh your bad deeds. It's not just trying to be neighborly. It's not trying simply to 
to, to give to some charity. It's, it's not even going to church. It's not even confirmation. It's not even being baptized. All, all these things of which are commendable. But Christianity is bound up in a person, the person of Jesus, and a relationship with that person. The Bible describes it in these simple terms. Christ in you, the hope of glory. To become a Christian, to become a child of God, to be able to say and pray, Our Father, it means that we have said at some point in our spiritual journey, we have said to Jesus Christ, I will. And then we have given ourselves to him. A picture, a person, and a promise. The promise is that if you say I will and then entrust yourself to him, you have the right you're given the right to become children of God. And how wonderful, an unbreakable, unchangeable relationship. You know, children at times may run off the rails. And parents themselves, how frequently, too frequently, fail so badly. But that relationship of children and parents remains, remains. And when Jesus says, he brings us into the unchangeable, irreversible, unbreakable relationship with God, who has now become our Father. A relationship which even death cannot destroy or undo. You see, it's only by Christ that we become the children of God because he loved us and he gave himself for us. He paid the price of our sin on that rugged cross. There in our place condemned he stood. He bore all my guilt. He bore the wrath of God in my place. In my place condemned he stood. And now he comes to us and invites us into a relationship with himself, a relationship which guarantees our eternity, a relationship between his Father and we, his adopted children, children of God. Now, is that you? Is Jesus your Savior? Has God become your Father? Have you ever said to Jesus, I will and I give? As I said, this Lord's Prayer is not for everyone. It's only theirs who by faith alone in Christ alone would seek to glorify and delight in God the Father alone. So what are the indicators and evidences that we are the children of God? Well, this prayer gives to us that, that practical framework which is acceptable to God, that particular family which is 
associated so closely with God. And so thirdly, this prayer implies a proper fear of an awesome God. You notice the intimate relationship that the people of God enjoy, that God, the, the Almighty King and the Sovereign Lord, is at the same time our Father. We are the beloved, accepted members of his forever family. But lest this, this intimacy degenerates or is uh, 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 abused and gives rise to impertinence, Jesus adds a further phrase. Our Father in heaven. Our Father who art in heaven. And my friends, here is a corrective that we so frequently need. Because you see, we, we, we fall into one of two errors. On the one hand, we, we so acclaim and so, so acknowledge God's majesty and glory and righteousness and holiness that, that, that we draw back from calling Him our Father. And so our, our, our prayers lack the intimacy, the warmth of a child speaking with its father. On the other hand, we may tend to see God as just one of us that in our mind's eye we have, we have created a God after our own image and we don't really have any high views of him. He, he, he's, just, he's just like the guy that lives next door. And so there develops a, a flippancy and a, a casualness that almost when we say jump, we, we expect God to jump for us and, and grant to us all our heart's desire and wishes. We forget or ignore that God is other than we think. And the proper balance is beautifully illustrated in the scriptures for us. You think of Moses. God spoke with him as a man with his friend. And yet Moses declared, I exceedingly fear and quake. Or you look at Abraham, this man who was called the friend of God. Yet his favorite position in prayer was this, and I quote, He fell on his face. And God talked with him. And even Jesus himself, he could say to the Father, I, I know that you always hear me. And yet the little comment is added. He was heard in that he feared. So what is this fear? What is this godly fear? Well, it, it, it's having and showing reverence for God, respect for God, standing in awe of God because of who he is in himself and what he has done, his power, his purity, his perfection. It's not, it's not that fear that would scare us away, but the fear that would draw us near. 
The knowledge that, that this God who is mighty and who is majestic and who is glorious and holy and, and, and all those attributes. This, this, these things are true of this God, but this God is nevertheless my Father. And he draws me to himself. He bids me come. And he says of me, my son, my child. He shows himself to us as one with open arms. Waiting for us to cling to him and to hide in him and to hope in him. Because every time he comes to us. He comes with an unchanging, unceasing love. And he comes to us just as we are. Therefore, this fear, this sense of awe and wonder is a corrective that we need today. Because knowing God, our Father in heaven, provides us, you see, also with the comfort that we need today. Because it means that my Father in heaven is not bound to this world, not bound to this earth. That in heaven he is there for us with a tender heart, with an open ear, with a seeing eye, with a strong right hand, ruling this world in truth and grace. You know, there's a there's a delightful picture in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. Jesus, rather, rather, John looks and what does he see? Listen to his words. Before me was a door standing open in heaven. Now I have to watch myself here or my imagination will run riot. But what in my mind's eye, what I see is this. I see, I see our heavenly Father looking down through that open door, ever watching over us, never sleeping, never slumbering, but, but always keeping an eye on us because we, the children of God, are the apple of his eye. Wherever we might be, his gaze upon us in grace. What a comfort to know that we're never alone. His eye is on the sparrow, and so I know he cares for me. And so this proper fear, this delightful reverence, has a response. And the response is to have confidence in him. The correction we need, the comfort we need. The confidence we need. For what did the psalmist say? Our God is in heaven. And he does whatever pleases him. Read the second psalm. And there you see his, his lordship over the nations. And you hear his laughter at their folly. Beloved, because our father is in heaven... Enthroned on high, King of all the kings and Lord of all the lords, he is able to do immeasurably more than we can 
ask or even imagine. Because our Father is in heaven, we can put on the whole armor of God and stand against the devil's schemes. And because our Father is in heaven, he is able to keep us from falling and to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. And because our Father is in heaven, then let us approach his throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find that grace which we need to help us in our time of need. Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven. May God bless those words to your heart today. And may God minister grace to all of our hearts that we might learn the great joy and delight and privilege of coming to God our Father in true prayer, with invocation, adoration, petition, confession, coming before him for our good and for his glory. Amen.